And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me on this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, but it is fitting and proper for the North Shore Community Church to join with all the other churches around the world to celebrate this moment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as we've studied through this gospel of Matthew together, many times you recall Jesus actually predicted not only that he would die, but that he would rise again. And in beautiful ways, he actually told you and me to prepare for our resurrection as well. And just a few weeks ago, we heard Jesus say, he, he said, um, the Father has prepared a place for you, and I will take you there. Where is that place? Remember, you're not just a sack of chemicals. You're not just a bunch of atoms bumping into each other. When you die, you die, right? That's what you'll probably learn from some folks. But you have an immortal soul. And there is a place of destiny for Christians. And Jesus said you'll hear a voice say, Enter into the joy of your master. For the destiny of the Christian is to go to the right hand of the Father, of whom it is said in the Psalms, at his right hand is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. You know what? There's something strange and wonderful about meeting a Christian who is alert to their ultimate destiny. And the fact of the matter is that when Christians are aware, consciously, when their lives are shaped by the reality of their destiny, life takes a, on a whole new perspective. In fact, if you're aware of your resurrection, of your future resurrection, you appreciate this life even more. Why is that? It's because you no longer expect the things of this life to do for you what only God can do and what only heaven can do for you. And so there is a freedom to just walk through life uh, with your heavenly Father in a healthy way. You know, I've met with a number of people who've had COVID. I've met with non-Christians and I've met with Christians. And you know what I found? I have found that Christians have learned how, when they get that diagnosis, yes, 
you have tested positive for COVID, when the symptoms begin to rage inside them, I've noticed that the Christians have operationalized their future resurrection here and now. Remember I told you about that article that Tim Keller wrote in The Atlantic very recently. And as he reflected on his impending death from his very serious pancreatic cancer, he said uh, to the the, uh, secular world that reads The Atlantic, he said, it's one thing to believe in your head that that there is a resurrection. It's another thing to actually be comforted by it. Right? Jonathan Edwards said, It's one thing to know that honey is sweet. It's another thing to taste it. And so I have been with so many Christians over this past year who have said, yes, my mortality is right before my face. I pray that God gives me more time on this earth. But if he does not, I will go to the place he has prepared for me. And it's just beautiful to see. So... There's a number of truths in this important passage that I want you to consider today. Point number one in your outline. The first thing I want you to do is to behold his sovereignty. Where do we see this? Well, you simply see it as Jesus predicts the future with authority. This is not the first time, but boy, oh boy, he is right on the money, isn't he? He predicts the behavior of Peter and all the disciples and other things. And this is more than just that Jesus is good um, at having some hunches. You know, some of you, some of you are good stock pickers. You know, you know the charts and and you're able to catch the stock on its meteoric rise. Um, Some of you are good at the racetrack. And you've studied the ponies, and you know that old paint in the third race is better than all the others. You're good at hunches. But Jesus is not just acting on hunches. What we have revealed to us once again is the omniscience of God manifested in the sovereign Son of God who is right in his predictions again and again. In fact, in John chapter 13, verse 19, after he made a prediction, he says, I am telling you this now before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. It's not just, you know, psychologists will psychologize this passage and say, well, he just knew the crew that was around him. No, no, it was more than that. Jesus knew the time had come, right? We saw that last week. The time is at hand. And he actually steps into, as the sovereign one, he steps into the fulfillment of the prophecy from the book of Zechariah. And uh, his sovereignty plays out uh, in God's written plan to orchestrate our salvation. And he actually quotes from Zechariah chapter 13. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And he will be alone. And why will he be alone? You know the answer, don't you? 
It's because only He is able to accomplish the salvation that we need. Peter can't do it. Judas can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. There is no other name under heaven. And so, the sheep are scattered, and the shepherd is smitten, stricken, and afflicted, and killed. He sovereignly steps into his destiny as our Savior. Do you see? That's point number one. Now, point number two is that Jesus actually knows that his people will sin, and then he shows mercy to sinners. And so, we need to learn how to receive this mercy and this amazing grace that he shows to us. He predicts certain sins are about to happen. So interesting. And I want you to know this. Jesus knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows that you sin. Okay? You say, I didn't come here this morning to be insulted, pastor. Well, the finger's pointing at me. He knows that I sin. I'm in the front of the line here, okay? What do you see in this text? What sins? The first sin is this fear and anxiety that is rooted in unbelief. It's deep in the hearts. Deep in our hearts is this root of unbelief, and it emerges in anxiety and fear. And they're all afraid, and they will turn away and go their own way. The second obvious sin is Peter's. It's the sin of boasting. And where is the root of boasting? The root of boasting is pride, the root sin of pride. What does this look like in your life? Has anybody here ever been paralyzed by fear or anxiety? And it rises in your mind, oh, God doesn't know what he's doing. Or maybe there isn't a God. Maybe it's all random chance and chaos, and I'm out of control. I've been good at being in control, but right now I'm not, and I'm afraid. And the root sin there is unbelief in the God who is evident to you everywhere. And then this sin of boasting. What is that? You know, our sinful flesh is quick to make great boasts. You make boasts to your husband. You make boasts to your wives. You make boasts to your friends in school. That's what Peter does. He makes a great boast, but it's not just Peter. We love to hammer Peter. (laughs) That's why I think Matthew includes, and so did all the disciples, make the same boast. All of us. Hmm. You know, I've been a pastor for almost 40 years. Over the years, I hear people declare their intentions, you know, and I understand that. I'm going to be at prayer meeting every Wednesday night. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to make sure my kids are memorizing Bible verses. And and there's this, I understand, you know, Peter's intentions were good. So did all, all the disciples, their intentions were good. People make great commitments and great boasts. 
And then it's inconvenient. And then it's a little bit threatening. And then, I, well, I, I, I just don't have time. And I'm not under law. I'm under grace, so I don't need to. And uh, that's all of us. The root sins of unbelief and of pride that makes great boasts. Well, Jesus knows. That's my point. Look at letter B in your outline. And what you know is that Jesus knows your sins. And you know what he said to Peter earlier when Peter also made this same boast? He says, Peter, I've prayed for you. Anybody remember that? What was Satan doing when Peter early on made his boast? He said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Don't you love that? And now in this passage, Jesus is saying, and I will be the shepherd struck down, smitten for you. I will go and die for you, Peter. And what Jesus does is he shows mercy to them. He, he walks straight into his own condemnation. He doesn't even fight against it. John told us, I lay down my life. John quotes Jesus saying, I lay down my life of my own accord. No one will take it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And then, how does that end? I will take it up again. So now, Jesus says to them, let's get together when all this goes, gets passed. Let's get together in Galilee. I'm not done with you. Don't you love this? You see that? I'm going to meet with you in Galilee. It's going to be okay. We're going to move forward together. You don't know what you're boasting now, and it's about to get much worse. But afterwards, I'm with you. We'll meet in Galilee. You know what that is? Um, John Piper, in his comments on this passage, he says, Have you ever let someone down? You know, you intended to do good, but you let them down. And you felt terrible about it afterwards. And um, to your amazement, you find that they're not talking trash about you, but in fact, they're, they're speaking well of you, and they're actually doing good to you, and when they see you, they come up and they greet you, and they embrace you. Have you ever had someone do that to you? It's the greatest, sweetest thing in the world, because they've shown you mercy, and they've said, we're going to move forward together. It's so beautiful. It's like you're walking with your friend down the the path, and these thugs come out of the woods intending to do you harm, and they're, they're, they're after you, and, and you, you head for the hills, but your buddy's not so fast. And they grab hold of your buddy, and you look, and you keep on going. And tomorrow, you run into him on the road, and his eye is swollen, black and blue, and he's got stitches in his head, and he's walking with a limp. And he says to you, I'm so glad you're okay. And he hugs you and embraces you. He says, let's keep going together. That's mercy. 
And that's Jesus Christ for those disciples and for you. That's what Jesus does for everyone who believes in him, who embraces him, who names him as their Lord and Savior. And he says, I will be your sovereign. We've seen his sovereignty. I will be your merciful Savior. And so the book of Hebrews says to us that we come to him with confidence to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Have you learned how to do that, Christian? We all need to learn how to come to him to receive mercy because he is the merciful Savior, smitten for our sins, afflicted on the cross for our sins. We are forgiven. And to come to him in our time of need as our good shepherd. Well, there's one more prophecy that he makes, and I, you, some of you said, well, oh, you forgot to mention this prophecy. He says, after I am raised, I will meet you in Galilee. And I skipped that because now what we should do is celebrate this victory. Because, you see, this is an Easter passage. Jesus said, after I am raised. And he knew that beyond the cross would come the empty tomb as he faces his terrible abandonment, as he anticipates his cruel suffering, as he knows he will experience the humiliation and shame of unjustly naked, hanging on the cross to the mockery of the people. And as he experiences the worst of all, as the Father turns his face away and the wrath of God falls upon him, somehow Jesus endures. The book of Hebrews tells us how he endured. It says that he endured the cross, despising the shame, in Hebrews 12, verse 2. Why? How? For the joy set before him. You see, he did anticipate. He had operationalized, he had operationalized his own resurrection. And that's what you do, and that's what I do as we become like him. Because the joy set before him is the joy set before you this Easter Sunday. I love this quote. It was, we sent it out in the e-bullet this week from Philip Brooks. Listen. Let every man and woman count themselves immortal. Let them catch the revelation of Jesus in his resurrection each saying, not merely, Christ is risen, but I shall rise. Can you say that today? What about you? Because the day is coming for you to breathe your last breath. It's coming. For some of us, it's nearer. For some of us, it's more in the future. But the day is coming. And this is what Easter is all about. But Jesus is not done with Peter and the disciples. Point number four in your outline. We don't just wait to die. And we don't just wait for heaven. We don't sit here twiddling our thumbs. 
But we learn from this text that Jesus has a plan for us in this life. And until that day comes, he has something for you and me to do. And it's, it's hidden, pregnant in that little phrase, I will meet with you in Galilee. Because what will happen in Galilee? Do you know? Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to embrace my grand cause. It's called the Great Commission. And um, he told the, he, he said uh, to the women, right, tell the disciples, I go before them into Galilee. And verse 32 of, of, uh, of uh, I'm sorry, in Matthew 28, verse 10, after the resurrection, Jesus said to the women, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And then in verse 16, guess what? Now the 11. Who are they? Same guys who made the boast, the empty boast. Same guys who scattered. You know what? They met him in Galilee. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, which is the appropriate response. That's why I'm so glad you're here today. It's the appropriate response to anyone who sees him as the sovereign, merciful, resurrected Lord. They worshipped him. Yes, some doubted, and there may be some here today who doubt. We do not look down on you if you doubt. We understand, I think that's there in the text, to encourage those of you who doubt to explore and investigate. I certainly will be glad to speak to anyone who doubts. Don't stew in your doubt. Explore, find the answers. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen, if you have sinned and if you are in Christ, he is not holding it against you. And people around you might hold it against you. But if you are in Christ, he does not hold it against you. He says, I'll meet with you in Galilee, and I will invite you now to get on board with my grand cause to be a blessing to the world in my name. Now, he doesn't say, meet me in Galilee, and I will help you achieve the American dream. <laughs> does he? You know... Some people, before they become Christians, they say, my life is all about achieving the American dream. A nice house, a fancy car, beautiful grass, a perfect children, good education for my kids. That's what life is all about. Well, I hope he may bless you with a nice house. Nothing wrong with that and a car and, and dandelion-free grass. But that is not his grand cause. Jesus is not your butler assisting you in your pursuit of the American dream. Jesus is your sovereign, merciful, resurrected Lord who says, 
I want us to be busy about something that is so good and so important, to go into all the world and make disciples, tell people how to find forgiveness of sins and hope as they face death. And let's do this together because we're in this together. And so he meets with them in Galilee. And the 23rd Psalm says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Will you get aboard his grand cause? We come now to communion. We come now to the Lord's table. Whenever we take communion, it is a time for us to reaffirm his claim on our lives and that we are all in. Isn't that the, what the poker player says at the end of the night when he knows he's got the cards? What does he say with his chips? I'm all in. Some of you, as you take communion now, need a fresh vision of the sovereignty of Jesus. There is no one like him, and you've been allowing other gurus to compete with Jesus. And he's going to just remind you gently. Some of you are carrying guilt, regret, failure. And as you take the cup, you will remember that he is the shepherd struck down for you to make atonement for your sins. And he will set you free from that horrible guilt. Some of you need afresh to remember, to operationalize the resurrection in your life. To let, as Tim Keller said, to let that be shaping the way you live and how you process your circumstances because you know that ultimately you will rise and be with him. That's what he's going to press home to your heart today. And all of us, can we say to Jesus, I hear you, what you said in Galilee, I'm all in with you. Let's pray, shall we? God, our Father, how grateful we are for this shepherd who was struck for us, and we are grateful that he is a merciful Savior. You, Lord Jesus, are a merciful Savior. We ask you to search our hearts, whether we are in elementary school or high school, college age, whether we are senior citizens, wherever we are in our journey, we want to say to you today, you were all in for me. So today, Lord, again, I'm all in for you. In Jesus' name, amen.